Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Jim Barnish on the line. Jim, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing today? I am awesome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. In, in the pre-show, we talked about a few things. And it's like, well, we could take this in all kinds of different directions. But uh, to start off, I want you to share with the audience a little bit about you and this awesome work you do. Yeah. So um, I'm a founder and managing partner at uh, Orchid Black. Um, our focus is really, if you imagine um, yourself as the tech founder CEO that's built an incredibly strong company and by many measures have hit success, hit some targets, but might be missing others, whether that's you know, gotten to 5 million or 10 million or 20 million in revenue. Uh, but in some cases, you might be a little bit of stuck. Um, you think there's an opportunity to grow and sell your business and want to make sure it's worth is, or want to make sure that you get as much as you think it's worth uh, and, and really find out exactly how much it's worth along the process. Um, and ultimately are looking for somebody who can help you understand exactly how much the business is worth and could be worth. Um, and also will help you execute alongside of that roadmap to get it there. Um, and we saw this massive gap in the marketplace that there wasn't anybody like that. Um, and so we started a company around it, um, Orchid Black. We are that trusted partner that focuses on taking founders and their companies to the next level. Um, really, you know, big exits, big exits, legacy, things like that that founders set out to do in the first place is, is what makes us super passionate. Um, we also do some work for larger organizations and private equity groups just based on you know, our history working with them that um, allows us to take on a little bit more risk in working with the growth stage companies that we partner with. Since with those companies, we do tend to align our incentive with company performance, which is a little interesting aspect of our model. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that's, kind of our, that's kind of our overall focus. It's amazing work you do, and a lot of the people that you listen to my show are entrepreneurs. They launch their business, and many of them have seen success, but they they hit a plateau, and they may not know. Or, and a lot of times in talking with them, they never really thought about the exit of their business. And and mm-hmm. it's like, well, you're just going to run this, and it's going to run forever, and you're going to live forever. I mean, is that is that your thinking here? It's because that do you want to leave it to your kids or to a trust? What do you want to do with it? And and they're like, well, we were so focused on building this product or service to serve, we didn't think anything about shutting it down. Um, and so it's like, well, okay, you you may want to think about that. And it's great that your organization exists to do that because one. It can tell people, you know, a couple of things you'd mentioned that's really important. One is you can get at least a snapshot view of what your organization is actually worth at a moment in time. And then once you get your head wrapped around that number, no matter how big or how small it happens to be, think about, okay, if I want to exit from this, you know, what's a target that I could hit with this based on what I do and what are the steps, the roadmap. And so often Mm -hmm. people go in with their eyes closed and they don't have a plan. They don't have a strategy on what they want to do with the organization. And they hit a plateau 
And then they're just thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, I had growth and growth and growth. All of a sudden, here I am. I'm doing the same things before I was growing and I'm not growing anymore. And then that's when stress and burnout and all of that stuff can kick in because you're doing something that's not changing anything. And what got you, the phrase, what got you here won't get you there is, is always true when it comes to growing your business. It's like you hit different levels, then you got to bring in some new tools, maybe some new personnel, maybe some new offerings, all kinds of different things. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And to, to build on that, more companies over the next 10 years, under 100 million will be sold um, than ever before. Um, and so, you know, when you think about some of the things that you're talking about, um, often the word discounted is, is the way that companies kind of end up looking at it. When they, once they look in the mirror, come acquisition time, um, they believe they're worth a certain amount due to the multiples that they see in the market. Um, but ultimately, value isn't about chasing multiples. It's about creating transferable value by building the business in a buyer-focused lens, right? It puts you in a place where investors and acquirers are calling you and you're not selling, but rather you're being bought. And too often, companies are discounted for somewhere between 50, 15 and sometimes up to 80% based off of things like lack of revenue growth or lack of strategic alignment or customer value or concentration, things along these lines that companies think that they're doing great around, but the buyer has a different lens. Um, and so ultimately, you know, very much in line with uh, the work that we do is helping companies prepare for that and um, overcome any of those discounting challenges along with growing the hell out of the business along the way. And then it's always good to have uh, an advisor that can see things from outside the fishbowl because many organizations either really think they're the greatest thing ever and some organizations diminish the work that they're doing and the value, uh, especially the transferable value of what they offer. And I, I'm sure you see a mix of that. And I, I, one of the things you had mentioned you know, a few minutes ago as well with you know, venture capitalists and investors and things like that, you know what they're looking for and the work you do, you know what organizations are looking for in a merger and an acquisition. So you say, here's a company that comes to you and says, yeah, you know, I want to plan and, and look ahead and maybe, you know, sell my business in the next five years. Okay. Where am I at now? What should I do to make my organization at the level that I want it to be, or at least something. And mm-hmm. that's where the roadmap comes in. That's where the work comes in. And, and it can be humbling, I'm guessing, to some people. Like, oh, wait a minute. Because again, if we had the skills as an entrepreneur to grow our business to the level that we wanted to grow without advisors, then I, a lot of us would probably choose that path. Mm-hmm. But I've learned the hard way, just like a lot of other people in the areas of growth that I've had, both personally and professionally, bringing in advisors and people that can see things differently than I can and look for the opportunities that I may not be looking at. I could be looking over here and it's actually opportunities are over there. Mm-hmm. And you know, organizations like yours uh, really provide opportunities for companies to do some amazing things and get to where they want to be and maybe even bigger and better. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, uh, you know, in setting out on this journey, we knew there needed to be um, an objective lens to view a company's 
full potential, if you will, um, from a 360 perspective. And the challenge for us was, you know, despite having decades of experience and, and doing this hundreds of times, we need to create something as comprehensive, but as simple as possible because founders, especially at this growth stage, can't afford a million dollars for an army of McKinsey or big three, big four consultants, right? Um, they also can afford to wait several months before getting the answer. Um, and so what we ended up having to develop um, as part of our process is some formulaic IP that, that augments our operating team, uh, which we call our value creation assessment or our VCA. It looks at a company from every angle, um, strategy, talent, product, revenue, operations, and ultimately, um, all the time and energy that we felt figuring out the exact way to analyze these pillars um, is so that founders don't have to, um, because we've had a lot of the lessons learned. Um, and so what we do is this has become our diagnosis tool of what a company needs in order to grow and maximize the value of their business. Um, and then we let leverage our playbook and our operating team uh, to really leverage the how or the blueprints, the, the plays to operate alongside of founders, because we really aren't just in it for advisory work, right? We're, we're also in it to execute alongside of founder-led companies. Um, and so I think that, that value proposition is why we are so comfortable with risking a large percentage of our fees um, in the form of upside, whether that's equity or percentage of sales or something that translates to the work that we're doing, right? Incentive aligning with performance, crazy concept, I know. Um, but ultimately, you know, something that we felt was very necessary in, uh, in the market that we serve. So um, yeah, all of those things um, is kind of what led us down the programmatic approach that, that we've now developed. I love the fact that you've done that and you realize, okay, yeah, maybe we're going to leave a little bit on or off the table when we're looking at these things, but in the variety of different ways that you can partner with some of these organizations, whether it's percentage of sales or percentage of equity, they know, or they should, uh, that you're doing that because you want it to be successful. You wouldn't invest in a company if you felt, okay, there's no real revenue growth opportunities other than maybe a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, or maybe the organization itself and whatever their product or service is tends to be the actual individual. And, mm -hmm. and it's not a product or a service, but it, it ends up being the individual. It's like, well, can't sell you. That's illegal. Um, we can't do that. And once you pass, then it's done. And, you know, I'm sure there's been cases where you've run into things like that, but I'm, I'm hoping not too many times. Uh, but again, because of the roadmap that you've laid out, the work that you've done and, and all the different uh, clients and things that you've seen, you, know, you can look at an organization not to prejudge, but you can pretty much have an idea of going, okay, this is kind of where we think they're at right now. Let's do it a little bit deeper dive flush it all out and say, okay, here's how you get to the next step and the next step. And then it's a recipe. I mean, yeah. you know, to dumb it down, it's, it's really a recipe. It's like, okay, you need these many ingredients, cook it for this long, you buy this, next thing you know, after roughly this time, this is what you're going to have. And as long as people follow it, easier said than done, I'm guessing, um, then 
that's when you'll know, okay, this is an organization that has done well, they've grown, they're able to, to do the things they want to do and, and be able to move on from you know, the work that they're doing. Uh, kind of a f- segue or follow-up to that is, what are some of the things you've seen? Has there been any challenges that COVID has created in this situation? Specifically, have you seen an uptick in organizations? And I know you had mentioned that there's going to be a lot of businesses that will be selling. Has there been an increase in businesses that have wanted to sell because of what's going on with COVID? Have you experienced some of that? Um, there, there certainly has been an increase um, in the need to sell in some cases um, across the board and, you know, from an industry or sector perspective, let's say with where we focus, which is really core technology companies, um, business to business technology companies, most of these companies were remote and agile and, um, you know, uh, had the ability to ad- adopt or, you know, to, to not adopt the new, the new, the new, the new real life scenario, but I would say um, adapt to a new environment, a changing environment. Um, and so most of the companies, um, at least the ones that we were working with, um, actually saw the opposite occur during COVID, which is a desire not to exit yet because some of the valuations, um, although higher in many cases than they have been before, weren't quite where they believe or where we believe we can get them to. Um, but also because of the growth, the massive growth that many of them have spurred during COVID by coming up with new solutions, new offerings, right? Um, expanding into tangential markets. I think, you know, one thing people don't realize is that with, um, with challenges uh, like this economic or, uh, you know, environmental or other, um, the most resilient companies are the ones that often push through and, and see the opportunity that, that, that comes through. And so whether it was new solutions or even new companies in some cases that were created out of it, um, we've actually seen a lot of companies uh, be able to scale much faster than they did pre-COVID um, due to meeting market demand, if you will. That's great to hear because it sounds like that many of the organizations you've dealt with may, before the pandemic, may have had a path of saying, okay, this is, you know, we want to think about exiting. And then the pandemic created opportunities and also creativity. And that's something that I've seen in a lot of new businesses or existing businesses that have been able to navigate through this pandemic thus far we're creative. I'm like, well, let's, mm-hmm. let's do this, you know? And the, the slate was clean, quite frankly, as far as what you could do, because, well, yeah. we, most of us have not been through a pandemic before and definitely not in the work environments that we face today compared to the last major pandemic, which was a mm-hmm. hundred years ago. So it, the ingenuity has been, has been awesome. So let's segue a little bit to, venture capitalists and investors, you know, what are some of the things that they're looking for? Yeah. So um, on the other side of our exits is typically either private equity or more of a strategic trade sale. Um, But if we look at what venture capitalists are looking for is they're typically one of our referral partners um, is, uh, you know, they're looking for extremely fast growth. right? Um, And one of the reasons as a former venture capitalist myself, one of the reasons that um, we started Orchid Black was the gap in the market that said it's okay to grow smart and then grow fast. Um, 
And the VC model is not set up for that way. It's set up for quick 10Xs or 100Xs. Um, it, if you take out the top companies, it's actually the worst performing asset class across the board. And as a former VC myself, right, and, and many VC friends, it's nothing against the model, um, but it's really just that there was a massive gap in the market, in the model, um, that was some opportunity that us, we at Orchid Black were able to fill because our mantra really is grow smart and then grow fast. Right, um, an orchid, which is part of where the name comes from, um, can grow for up to a hundred years when tended to and cultivated properly, as opposed to uh, this concept of a unicorn that we think of, which is obviously you know uh, it's 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 mythical, <laughs> but there are there are billion dollar companies that have grown you know out of nothing, thrown capital at them, grown as fast as you can. Only problem is um, a number of things then happen. Right, founders get overly diluted. Um, by investment. Um, founders um, ultimately have competing priorities because investors have their own priorities as part of that. And so, you know, um, while there is uh, a room for the venture capital model, if you're looking to grow, you know, 100% year over year um, and really focus on, you know, you know, exiting your growth as fast as you can, um, our model is really focused on how can we find the right companies that we can partner with, where we can increase the value of the business by at least 50% year over year. And typically what we'll do is 50 to 100% year over year value creation, which sounds kind of crazy <laughs> when you say it out loud. But if we select the right companies coming out of the VCA that are, that are struggling um, in some cases to meet some of their milestones, and we feel like our team is the right fit to execute alongside them and help them meet those milestones, um, then it's actually quite possible. And we've got a number of case studies to show for it. Um, so in answer to your question, right, VC model looking for very quick growth. And if you're looking for that and you're looking for um, a partner um, that is that is not going to be necessarily your operating partner, but your capital partner to just fuel growth, um, that's one model. Um, if you're looking for a partner uh, with the same priorities as you, <laughs> uh, as a founder, um, that's really where our model comes in. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a little bit of passion behind uh, behind my voice. I'm sure you can tell. Oh, definitely, because again, you see it as an opportunity to you know, grow a business and invest, and obviously, you get you know growth and and ROI from it as well. And and there's something to be said about growing a company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially something that was started with an idea and all of a sudden it's a living, breathing entity and, you know, and people can uh, eventually exit that position and, you know, hopefully make a ton of money from it. It's like, we'll see that's and and serve everybody. So I uh, want to segue over to, and something we talked about a little bit in the pre-show is, and I see this with entrepreneurs and, you know, investing and all kinds of stuff, you know, burnout is definitely you know, a challenge that impacts everybody in a variety of different ways. And you had said that you, know, you had some stories around burnout that you'd love to share. So love to hear yeah. some of those stories. Yeah, I've got quite a few lessons as it relates to team and talent, but uh, most of which start with myself, by the way. <laughs> Uh, but burnout prevention and recovery is certainly definitely part of that. Um, starting a business is not easy. And growing a business is even harder. And I'd say one of the darkest points on my founder journey, if you will, was when I hit burnout. Um, and it's something that, uh, although 
many of us suffer from. We don't always talk about this mental tax of what building companies does to us um, and, and, and the mindset that it needs to take to drive it. Um, and whether that be burnout or just Sunday anxiety, whatever we want to call it, um, it's something. <laughs> Uh, and it's something we just don't talk about because we think it makes us weak as founders. Um, we think it makes us, uh, we think we need to be superhuman, right? And it's okay to actually be human. Um, sometimes we actually don't even recognize it because startups and, and growth stage businesses are supposed to be hard, right? Um, but at the end of the day, um, I hit a number of worst times, if you will, uh, at once. And the negative impact, um, it was it was just transformational in both my business and in my personal life. Um, for instance, you know, I I went down this entrepreneurial path because I wanted to create true wealth and financial freedom for my family, for myself, and I know other founders do the same. Um, but that goal runs into this crossroad when you're too overloaded or burned out to spend time with the people that matter most to you. Um, and too often I'd find myself in the office till 3 a.m. or uh, excusing myself to take a phone call when I should have been spending time with people that matter most at dinner. Uh, and unfortunately, although I work with some incredibly talented and skilled individuals at, at blitz scaling companies, um, I never got this uh, instruction manual, uh, instruction manual uh, on blitz scaling my own personal growth or my personal life. I would just muscle through it. And so over time, I realized that I needed to develop my own set of systems, if you will, to, to manage burnout because 50%, if not more of this person of this game that we're in this founder growth game is personal mindset. Um, obviously the rest is business growth mindset. Um, and I accepted that I can, I can be human. I don't need to be superhuman. Um, so I started doing things differently. Uh, I carved out specific time to, to spend with the people that mattered most to me in my personal life, which helped me get ready uh, for the week, uh, get ready for what was coming to me uh, in, in my business context. Uh, you know, churches on Sunday mornings, decisions to be fully present, things along those lines, um, not emailing or answering phones <laughs> or slacks 24 um, seven. And instead, you know, having my full attention uh, be on, on where I am and be present. Um, and ultimately, you know, between the systems that I developed, one of which was um, uh, bringing on and hiring an executive coach um, and um, more operational systems that I, that I put in place that my executive coach, of course, helped hold me accountable to. Uh, shout out to Mike. <laughs> uh, there was a, a number of things that I, that I did um, that if you'd like, I can walk through in a little bit more detail of what that managing of, of, of burnout looked like. And I still run into trouble with it at times, of course, nobody's perfect, but it's been transformational in both my company and uh, in my personal life. Yeah. If you could, you know, real briefly, you know, just kind of share some of the things, because I know a lot of the entrepreneurs, you know, run into similar challenges and it, it, it a lot of it comes down to, you know, when we're building our business, you know, like you said, you know, we want to build this thing so we can have a better, experience and a more fulfilling life with those that we love and spend time with them. 
but then we shortchange the time we spend with them as we're mm-hmm. building the business and it, it ends up being this vicious cycle and you're like, okay, am I ever going to get off this hamster wheel? And, and then all of a sudden it starts. And I, and I know this in conversations I've had with entrepreneurs, especially the startups uh, are, you know, they, they start second guessing themselves and thinking maybe it'd be better if I went to just work for somebody. And, Sometimes that makes sense, but many times in the conversations I've had, it's like, you're not wired for that. You, you're meant to do something. You're, you're on the cusp of this, but you, you need to maybe slow down a little bit and, you know, you know, you know have a good foundation and then it can grow. You know, everybody yeah. wants to do it tomorrow. It's like, no, most things aren't going to be tomorrow unless... You come up with some kind of a solution to a huge global problem in a couple of days, then congratulations, you know, you, you found the unicorn. But you know, for the most part, it's it's going to look more like a sloth. But yeah. I'd, I'd I'd love to hear um, you know some of the tips that uh, you you've implemented in your life to to help uh, with this burnout. Yeah, so um, it really started from this foundational recognition that um, I knew we had all these systems and 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 templates and playbooks for operating businesses, but like nothing that I knew <laughs> to operate my personal life. So I, I went out and I did kind of this, this uh, I'm a research and data and, and, you know, geek, if you will, analyst driven guy. Right. Um, so what I do, I talk to a lot of my friends. I talked to a lot of other folks that I knew that, that had managed things really well in their personal lives. And, uh, um, what I came to find, which is crazy enough, is that the closest comparison towards uh, founder life um, that I found was pro athletes who do it way better than founders do it. Um, and let me explain. So we all try, we, founders and pro athletes try to accomplish the impossible. Uh, the probability of getting to the highest level is incredibly low, right? Um, and yet we still want to because the rewards are so worth it. Um, but the more I talk to pro athletes, um, the more I learn that, you know, they train, right? They play to win. They take time to recover and they celebrate and they repeat that cycle. The more I talk to founders, they don't train. They play to win. They definitely don't recover and they rarely take time to celebrate. And it was this aha moment where founders have this hustle culture that's ingrained in them where everyone should be working 24-7 and, and everyone should be playing to win. But ultimately, what about training and recovering and celebrating? So um, I developed my own you know, five principle uh, system that works for me. The first was hiring an executive coach, which had to be at the right time on my time um, because I got, got it forced on me a number of times and it, was, it, it ended up delaying the process. Um, that was huge. Um, number two was uh, creating a personal life strategy the same way I would creating a business strategy, right? My three to five year personal life strategy. The third was uh, creating these kind of beast mode or special challenges, if you will, that were somewhere between a month and a quarter long, 30 to 90 days of you know something that could be business focused, but more often was personal focused. Right now, my beast mode challenge is um, a workout <laughs> regimen that is getting me back to the same shape that I used to be in that I really need and I feel better when I'm in that mode. Um, and then the final two are very business focused, um, but they're focused on taking time to celebrate the little wins, which I've been terrible about. Um, 
first is having a two-hour monthly reflection and and, and connection to my monthly goals. Um, that is uh, typically me having a scotch by myself in my backyard. Sometimes I'll go to dinner by myself, but I'm by myself focused on at least two hours of reflection a month and planning for the next month. And then the same thing on a weekly basis on Sunday evenings, uh, about 30 to 45 minutes reflection and weekly goal setting. And it's just like, I've noticed the little wins. I've been able to congratulate my team a lot more on the little wins. And I've been able to let myself celebrate those wins. I've been able to train better, better at playing to win, better at recovering and better at celebrating. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of my version of trying to match that pro athlete lifestyle, if you will, and be less like a founder, more like a pro athlete. I, I love that system that you've created. And it also, because you take that time to reflect, it gives you clarity. So when opportunities come up, you can actually see them. For the founders that are grinding and hustling and doing all of that stuff, they're running so fast they'll run right past an opportunity. They may not see it. And that opportunity it may not be anything or it could be such Something a dramatic, huge. huge thing that could be a game changer for you, your organizations you serve, anybody. So yeah. it's like sometimes it's good to take the slow lane for a little bit and just kind of go, okay. And I, I love that you've designed this based on what you know works for you. And I think that's uh, so, so amazing. And and congratulations for doing it. And one of the things I always like to frame for people too is a lot of times because so many of us tend to be system driven and square box, here's this, everything fits in this way and it's in this order. Well, life is not orderly. It's it's a mess. Uh, And you toss in a pandemic and who knows, but you have a foundation and there's going to be times where it's going to ebb and flow a little bit differently depending on all kinds of different factors. But knowing where you're, you know, using a compass analogy, okay, where's your true north? Okay, let's get back to that. Okay, now let's go back. Yeah, you might go off course a little bit. You can always go back. And just understanding where that is along the way makes such a big difference. So that is awesome. That is a great system you've come up with. So I've loved this conversation, Jim. We could probably talk for hours about all kinds of different things, but uh, where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you're doing? Yeah, the, the best place to reach out to me, whether you're an enterprise or a founder or just someone looking for a little bit of advice is on LinkedIn. Um, Jim Barnish Jr. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn under the words grow smart, grow fast, if you type that in, because that's that's what we do here. Um, and I take office hours every week. So um, even if you're not a perfect fit for our program, I'd be happy to refer you to the right place. Um, so feel free to reach out and love to make some time, spend some time with you. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Jim, thank you again for your time and for the work that you do. I I think it's going to make stronger organizations, which benefit us all. doesn't matter what product or service they have. It benefits society when when you have strong businesses and, and strong advisors like you out there. So thank you again so much for being on the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.